Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. So friends, today we are giving you, we are serving a very important episode. It is a little bit of a heavier topic, but especially because we're smacked up in the middle of the holidays and there's going to be a lot of... Um, not very positive marketing around food and body image stuff coming into the new year. These are some patterns that we want to help you identify that will help you improve your relationship with food and body image. So let me just get into it. We're talking about overeating today. We are talking about binge eating today, and we're talking about binge eating disorder. And the reason we wanted to do this episode is because a lot of the time when Christina and I are with our clients and even on Instagram we see people, you know, talking about this, a lot of what people are experiencing with their relationship with food is not actually overeating. A lot of it is binge eating and at the same time a lot of what people call binge eating is just quote just overeating. So there's a lot of things that we want to clarify today. Sometimes people think that they're overeating, but it's because they're so used to undereating that they don't know what it feels like to feel satisfied. We also really want this episode to bring you practical solutions to it because a lot of times the advice you're going to hear, and I think if you listen to our episode with Bonnie Rooney around it, talking about this to Aroni about it, we talked about how a lot of things out there are band-aid solutions. So we wanted to bring you guys a full episode talking about this specifically, breaking everything down. And then also what are the practical solutions that you can get from a nutritionist around how to work with this? So what we're going to be diving into is clarifying what we are talking about and what you can do about it and distinctions between <laughs> overeating what we call scavenger eating, to binge eating and binge eating disorder. So basically what this is, if you think about our relationship with food, is really like a spectrum of if we go all the way to one side, let's say like comfortable, like pretty neutral eating. When we go a little bit more towards the middle or, you know, towards the other side of the spectrum, we've got overeating. And then we've got scavenger eating. And then there's binge eating and binge eating disorder. So on the two ends of the spectrum that we're talking about, here today, the most severe instance is going to be binge eating disorder, which we know is a diagnosable psychological condition, and we're going to be going into that. And then we have, let's say, comfortable eating or a more neutral relationship with food. So for the purposes of this episode, right, so we're in a little bubble here, right, we are going to be using definitions from the DSM-5, we're going to be using things from like psychology today and stuff like that, but we're also going to be adding on our definitions to things as we see them with our clients, as we see it on social media, right? So this is basically, when we say overeating, this is what we mean for the purposes of this episode, right? When we say scavenger eating, which is not actually a term that a lot of people use, this is 
I, I don't think we use this exclusively, but Christina and I talk about this a lot, especially with our clients. This is what we mean. When we say binge eating, this is what we mean. And when we say binge eating disorder, this is the actual definition of binge eating disorder. So this episode is to give you all more clarity of what these terms really mean the, you know, we're thinking about where do you fall on this spectrum from comfortable eating to, you know, binge eating or overeating or scavenger eating. And then as Christina mentioned, towards the end here, we're going to give you practical tools of what can help depending on where you find you fall on the spectrum. And right, just because you fall one place on this food spectrum today, tomorrow you might fall in a totally different place, right? And that's also something that we wanted to draw attention to attention to as well is like how much of a you know quote problem this is or how much of a solution you need to this you need to these you know issues that are coming up also really depends on how frequently it's happening and the impact that it's having in your life major disclaimer always work with a medical professional so a therapist a psychologist a psychiatrist a dietitian nutritionist who is trained in these modalities right don't as christina said this right before we started recording don't go to someone who also has a messed up relationship with food if you're looking for advice for your relationship with yeah this food. is not the time to call on your girlfriend who's at the gym 24 7 like this is not right. the time and like heavy dieting like not not the best thing Let's start with overeating because I think a lot of times people think of overeating as like this immediately bad or bingey type behavior. And I we wanted to quickly kind of define this a little bit around generally, in general, for most individuals, overeating is just, it can be eating past the point of satiety. I often describe this as having like an extra portion of something when you're already pretty full. So I think of this as like on Thanksgiving, right? You decide to have, you know, an extra helping of all of the things because you're like, oh, but it's just so delicious, right? And so this is not inherently a bad thing. And it doesn't mean that you've had a binge because you've had a slice of pie when you're already satisfied or you're already full, right? This can happen really frequently when you're presented with a food that you don't regularly have access to, like when you're going out to a restaurant or there's a holiday or you're having birthday cake or things like that. And there's a level, and we're going to talk about this more in probably a minute, but there's a level of casualness to it. Like there's not like it's not typically associated with kind of like a frantic type feeling. It's more of like, ooh, that sounds good. I'm going to have some more. Or, oh my God, this meal at this restaurant's freaking delicious and I want to eat every last bite of it. It's so good. I want to I want to like enjoy it. Um, so those are the types of things when we think about overeating in the general sense, this is what it looks like for the majority of people. Yeah, and if you Google overeating, which you probably have at some point, right, it will say quote, eating to excess or like eating more food than you need. But what we say in response to that is, okay, well, according to who, right? And then another really important point here is like, if you have been dieting or restricting or doing something like intermittent fasting for a long time, or if you have a health condition that messes with your hunger and satiety cues, you probably don't know, according to your body's internal cues, how much you actually need to be eating for your body's needs, not 
a 1200 calorie diet, right? So this kind of leads into a discussion of, you know, what is your perception of what quote normal eating is or how much you should be eating? This I would say is probably one of the number one questions that I get from new clients. Like how much should I be eating throughout the day, right? And the answer in nutrition is always, it depends, right? Everybody is so different. But so we really, when we're thinking about all of these things, if you're feeling out of control, if you're feeling like you're overeating, if you're feeling like you're scavenger eating, it's really important to think about what is my point of reference? Because someone who is eating at regular intervals throughout the day compared to someone who is intermittent fasting, if both of those people go into dinner and they eat the exact same amount of food, wherefore the, let's say the comfortable eater who's been eating consistently and feels nourished, they feel totally fine after dinner. The person who's been intermittent fasting or dieting or isn't in touch with their hunger and fullness cues or has an eating disorder or, you know, whatever, any of these things, that perception of fullness is going to feel entirely different in those two people's bodies to the point where the comfortable eater might be like, yep, I feel pretty good. Maybe I'll have some dessert. But the other person is like, oh my gosh, I'm so incredibly full. I now feel so bloated. And maybe there's even something going on with the gut microbiome, right? So it's thinking about what is my frame of reference here when I'm thinking about all of these different, you know, situations that we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to add in something else too around the frame of reference also, because if you think about it too, like if you've been like a long-term dieter or you're a restrictor or you have disordered eating, or if you have an eating disorder, right? Let's say you have a history of anorexia, your body has adapted and it's down-regulated your metabolism. And so what would be quote unquote normal eating for other people will feel like overeating for you. Even if you're eating significantly less than your body's biological needs, right? So your idea of normal eating is going to feel physically and mentally really uncomfortable. So that's another thing too to kind of notice as well is, am I feeling like I'm overeating um, even though I'm eating about the same or less than other people? What does that tell me? Where where might that give me some that that perception that Dana's talking about and that frame of reference around what do I think is overeating and what does that look like for me and kind of where do I fall in? So it's also too, like another thing to mention as well is a lot of, there's been like a lot of normalization around, um, or maybe like a lack of normalization, I guess is maybe the word I'm looking for around the idea of having even the slightest satisfaction or fullness in your stomach. And we need to normalize that really quickly because it's perfectly normal and quite frankly, expected in all caps <laughs> um, to feel food in your stomach and even some distension too. And I think that's one thing too, is a lot of clients will come to me as well and say, well, I'm bloated after I eat. Well, it's expected to happen. You know, we're expected to have some distension and some bloating, especially here if you're eating something that's high in fiber like beans. That doesn't mean that you can't eat beans anymore. It's just you can expect to be a little bit more distended when you have that. Um, and in a lot of ways, what's frustrating about that and what's been kind of like this idea of distension and kind of um, fullness being kind of um, frowned upon in a lot of ways. Yeah, and 
bad and from bad. diet culture. And bad from diet culture. And also too, like in the integrative field, the first thing people would say if you went to a doctor would be like, oh, well, you have to remove beans. You can't eat beans anymore. It's like, well, no, it's kind of normal to have that. And beans are so great. They're high in fiber. They feed your gut my- microbiome. They feed your short chain fatty acids. They're amazing. They keep things irregular. <laughs> so to me, it's like, I think one thing too, to give you that frame of reference that's really important is it's normal and expected. There's a spectrum within that, which is probably its own episode talking about like, how do I know then if it's like, this is beyond. (laughs) What's normal bloating? What's normal bloating? That's going to be like episode number whatever. Um, But I think that's also something too that's really important that's often overlooked is we think that any kind of distension or discomfort in our stomach is unexpected, not okay, and should never happen. And that's not the way that it, it should be. Right. And I think a big part of this too is when we grow up as chronic dieters or around people who are chronic dieters, there is this perception and some an idea that is perpetuated that is if your goal is losing weight, you never want to be full, right? You should always be, you know, X percentage full or whatever. Because we believe that if we are hungry, we are losing weight, right? I don't know where that came from. I assume it's from the calories in, calories out mentality, right? Which, as we know in this podcast, is antiquated and we don't need to debunk that again. Or at least I don't think we do. If you all want us to, then, you know, tell us because we're happy to do that. But so when we think about that, if we think being good equals not being full – then that is also going to further screw up our hunger and fullness cues, right? Which then it becomes really physically and mentally uncomfortable if we are feeling satisfied or if we are feeling full or over full because it's now I'm a bad person, I must have gained weight, right? Which is a lot of the root of a lot of these things. Another point that we wanted to mention too is that eating more than the recommended serving size on a packaged item is not overeating especially when you look at some of these packages, which are like serving size is one cookie and the cookie is like the size of, you know, like a silver dollar or something like that. And it's like, yeah, okay, because yeah, we were really just going to eat one of those. That was, you know, but one of the reasons that serving sizes are the way they are is so that they can keep the calorie count or the carb count or the sugar count low so that when people look at the packaging, they're like, oh, this food isn't so bad. It only has X amount of whatever, right? But most people don't only eat one cookie. Most people don't. Let's use potato chips as an example. I'm pretty sure the serving size on some of these things is like seven tortilla chips or something. Who's eating seven tortilla chips? Unless you are counting them out, right? The people that used to count out the almonds and the string cheese and everything. And look, I'm not here to shame anybody if they did that. Like I definitely did that at one point, right? But to clarify, eating more than the serving size on the back of a package does not automatically qualify as overeating. And I think that's a really important distinction to make too. And I think, again, that gives you that frame of reference also, right? You can look back and say, oh, do I always follow the serving recommendations on things that I have? Am I tracking that? Am I counting that? Ding, ding, ding. Look into that, you know? Um, Do I think anything above that is overeating? Ding, ding, ding. Look into it. (laughs) Like, these are the, you know, those like little red flags, like bing, 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 here they are. Um, So that's, what we mean from the purposes of this episode, what we mean by overeating. And so we also want to describe like 
going down further into this, this spectrum that we talked about earlier is scavenger eating. So scavenger eating is one of my like favorite things <laughs> to talk about because I have such a strong visual around it because I know it so well. I was definitely a scavenger eater in a lot of ways and a lot of my clients and I have this conversation a lot. And the thing to me around scavenger eating is that there's this great, it's a really strong gray area that can lead to binging. And usually I think of it as something that it's like seeking, like you're kind of seeking something. You don't know what it is exactly, but there's like a desire, but you can't quite put your finger on it. Like sometimes it's nutrients, sometimes it's just energy. Um, sometimes it's specifically carbs. I've noticed that this happens a lot with people who um, kind of carb count or pull things down. Or sometimes it's a sensation. Like sometimes it's like I want something crunchy or I want something sweet or I want something like smooth or whatever it is. And you're like kind of like looking for that in a food item. And what, why it leads into kind of that binge like feeling is that it can feel a lot like binging because you can feel sometimes really hungry or ravenous during it. And it typically I have found that it follows periods of dieting, caloric restriction, or going a long period of time without eating. And sometimes that is intentional or not. Like to me, I just, when I look at, excuse me, when I look at this, I think of inconsistent eating leads to scavenger eating. And so what it can kind of look like is this idea of like, all of a sudden I want all these different things and we kind of feel like a mouse in the cupboard. You know, going a little bit of this, going for a little bit of that, kind of like going around from each thing and not quite feeling satisfied, but wanting a little bit of everything, picking, 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 searching and seeking for that something that you're kind of craving and desiring, but it's not quite available. And so you're picking at different things in order to get to that point. And that can kind of feel like scavengering, right? Like we're searching for something, we're looking for something, we're moving boxes aside, like, hey, where is this thing that I had in here? I know I have something in here that makes somewhat, I can concoct it <laughs> into something that kind of resembles the thing that I'm actually looking for. And so that's what we talk about when we're thinking of scavenger eating. And it can feel um, kind of bingy because it's usually associated with being kind of ravenous. One thing that one of my clients said to me one time, she called this like snack tapas, basically. And she would describe how she would come from home from work and it well, like, wasn't quite dinner time yet. She'd be like, ooh, I'm kind of hungry. Like I just need something to kind of tide me over to dinner. And she would have like a little bit of chips and like a little bit of popcorn and like a little bit of this because nothing would really like hit that satisfaction. And then before you know it, it's like you feel like you've eaten like a whole meal and then you're like, well, I already had dinner in the slow cooker. Like now do I, am I also going to eat my whole dinner? Like what's going on? Another thing that I was just thinking about when you were talking, Christina, is, and this is really common, we're going to talk about this more in binge eating, but if you're on a certain protocol or something, or if you feel like you shouldn't be eating a certain food, but you're craving it, so you eat around it. So for example, like ice cream or something. If you really want ice cream, but you're like, oh, I shouldn't have it, or I can't have it, or you know, whatever it is, or maybe it's not in your house, you know? And then you're like, okay, well, I'm just going to have, you know, like this smoothie. Okay. And then that didn't really do it. And then I'm going to make like frozen banana ice cream and that didn't really do it. And then you have like, you know, some chocolate or you have like a whole bunch of other things. You're eating around the craving to try and get that satisfaction that you would get from eating the ice cream. But for whatever reason, you're choosing not to eat it or you don't have it in the house. And then at the end of it, you're like, 
well, the hell with this. Like, I'm just going to go get some freaking ice cream, you know? And then you're so full that you're like, God, I wish I had just gone for the ice cream in the first place. But then you feel like you might have been bingy on the ice cream. So this is another little something that can happen as an example of scavenger eating, which isn't quite binge eating, right? We're going to get into that next, where how to distinguish between the two of them. But this is scavenger eating. Also different from overeating, right? Scavenger eating can lead to overeating. It can lead to binge eating, but we think it sits on its own as well. Yeah, I really do feel like it kind of hangs out in its own little world in a lot of ways too, but it can hang out in this gray zone that can kind of go either way. And it can, one thing that I will say is it, it's, um, overeating the way we described it as it being kind of like, oh, this meal's so delicious. I really like, I really enjoy it. There's a casualness to that, right? It's not chaotic. It's not driven by the, this ravenous type feeling. Whereas scavenger eating is less casual than overeating in that way. It's a little bit more chaotic, right? But it's still more casual than binge eating too. And we're going to get into binge eating now too. So when we're thinking of binge eating here, we're thinking about intermittent or episodes. This is, we're going to then define kind of binge eating disorder, which is a little bit different and much more complex. But binge eating usually involves consuming large quantities of food very quickly, even when you're not hungry and to the point of being uncomfortable. So it's often feeling of feelings out of control, which is how you can kind of see how scavenger eating and binge eating from this intermittent type of thing can kind of blend together in this way, right? Because scavenger eating, you might start off a binge episode with scavenger eating, right? And it's like, first it comes into this, next thing you know, you're ordering GoPuff and you're getting, I'm getting ice cream, I'm getting all the things, I'm getting, I'm going like snack top of crazy and I'm getting everything that I've now deemed, like that I wasn't allowed to have or I didn't have available. And so it can feel frantic. Um, and it can sometimes be premeditated in some ways. Like you might be thinking like, it's the weekend, <laughs> like I'm going to go a little nuts or I'm going to do these things that I don't allow myself to do. And so that's where the overeating can then kind of lead through and blend into this type of binge thing. And one of the things that I will say as well is that it's more frequently associated with rules and restrictions around food that you we believe that we should or shouldn't be eating. Um, and this could be like a mental or even a physical restric restriction. Like it's not available in my house or I don't allow myself to eat it. And so you can kind of see like if we're looking at the spectrum, right, how scavenger eating can quickly lead into binge eating and binge eating can quickly lead into overeating or overeating can then lead into a binge depending on almost the, the chaos associated with it in some ways. And so we wanted to, to define this even more for you guys and let you let you kind of see how it can sometimes even be, spe binges specifically can sometimes be food specific or even food group specific too. So it's almost like binge episodes to us are like the antithesis of like dieting rules that you're following at the time. So one example for, for me personally was like Oreos. Like I used to not allow Oreos in the house. And then if I bought them, like I was in the mood for them or I wanted them. And then I would like binge eat all of them all in one sitting, like kind of like be like, Oh, I'm only going to eat a sleeve. <laughs> I'm uncomfortably full after the sleeve. 
And then next thing you know, I put it back in the cabinet and then I'm like, oh, scavengering, kind of like, oh, maybe I'll eat some things around it because I don't want to eat any more of the Oreo. So I'll eat these other things. I'm like, oh, I'm going to take this weird cookie that I got, put some stuff on top of it and maybe it'll turn into an Oreo. And then next thing you know, I'm going back to the Oreos and then I've decided to eat all of them all in one sitting because then they're gone you know, and they're sure as hell not going to get thrown out. <laughs> so that's like the binge episode, right? And so Dana, I, yeah, that's where I'm thinking about the binge episodes. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, one thing to think about too, which I think makes binge eating and overeating and scavenger eating so difficult. And you can think about these like a Venn diagram too, right? There are a lot of similarities with these and there are also very marked differences. And this, I think, is one of the biggest ones from that distinguishes binge eating from scavenger eating and overeating. So in binge eating, there definitely is like a psychological component. Some people describe when they're having a binge that they have kind of like an out-of-body experience that everything around them kind of just becomes blurry and it's just them and the food and they have like no idea what's happening. And sometimes you'll kind of come back into it and be like, oh my gosh, what just happened? You know, and that is often associated with it intense, intense feelings of guilt and shame and kind of like repentance, like you have to do something about it, which most of the time is not associated with scavenger eating, sometimes with overeating. I mean, especially around the holidays, like we're seeing, you know, oh, here's how many burpees you need to do to make up for your ya ya ya, you know, whatever it is. But with binge eating, whenever it happens, it's, oh my gosh, I'm such a horrible person. How did I let this happen again? And sometimes it can be planned. Like if you think about like in college, if you had, you know, a bunch of exams, like at the end of the week, like I'm going to have this binge, right? And then people will go and order food from like five different places and then just sit there and eat it all. And they will, again, like describe that experience of like, I there was no mindful eating involved, right? <laughs> it was just like you eat it fast because at the one time you really want to enjoy the food, but you don't want to allow yourself to enjoy the food. So you're eating it extremely fast, which then can lead to a lot of, we go back to the physical distension and like physically feeling uncomfortable, but a lot, a lot of emotional and mental like just guilt and shame and repentance that is associated with this and to give a like a little bit more of a mild example which is so incredibly common but no one calls this binge eating so most of you know that I used to be a Whole30 coach back in the day former days of Dana we try not to talk about it but because it turns it stirs up too much controversy right so we're you know whatever but we're diving into it today it's been long enough so everybody almost everybody has done this if they've ever done a Whole30. I think I can say this pretty equivalently, equivocally, which is the post-Whole30 binge, right? You do the Whole30, and then you're like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to eat all of the things when I'm done. And the weird thing is, they even promote this a lot of the time. It's like, oh, what, you know, what's your first meal going to be, you know, post-Whole30 or whatever? And so people will, you know, they have like pizza and beer and ice cream and, you know, whatever it is. And what they want is... They feel like they deserve to eat all of these foods because they've just successfully cut them out for 30 days or, you know, however long they did the thing. But then they feel awful because if you haven't eaten something for a month, your body is like, well, we don't need to make those digestive enzymes and, you know, whatever else has been going on. So you're not used to eating those foods. So yeah, you're probably not going to feel awesome when you eat that. And... They now feel like, 
oh my gosh, I'm so out of control. I just messed up all of the work that I did by cutting out these foods for 30 days. I need to do a Whole30 reset, which is then what they also promote that you do. Now again, let me do my classic disclaimers. This is not the case for everybody, but since we are talking about binge eating and overeating and everything on this episode, this is something that I saw very frequently, even when I still was a Whole30 coach. And now I work with plenty of ex-Whole30ers, as they call themselves, who realize that doing that program, which really is an elimination style program that promotes restriction very heavily, when you have a lot of restriction, when you have this type of all or nothing personality, it leads to binging a lot of the time. And people will even binge like on the Whole30 when you're, for example, not allowed to have ice cream. But they will find, they will like kind of like little scavenger their way around the rules. Is like, okay, I'm not allowed to have ice cream, but I am allowed to have dates and I am allowed to have bananas and I am allowed to have all this stuff. So they'll try and make all of these different Whole30 quote approved concoctions, which is not in any way satisfying to the craving that you're actually having. And then they end up eating way more than they wanted to or that feels good in their body. Sometimes that can turn into a binge. Sometimes that can turn into overeating. But that's probably also associated with some pretty strong feelings of guilt. Not necessarily the like tuning out, I have no idea what's happening, like out of body experience that a lot of people have when binging. But This is something that happened as a very natural reaction to being on these types of protocols. Not just Whole30, a lot of other ones too. Oh my gosh, so many of them kind of had that same thing. But I remember definitely having a planned binge at the end of mine. I knew exactly what I was going to eat, where I was going to go, what restaurant I was going to go to, all the things which are classic kind of binge episodes, but wouldn't be considered binge eating disorder because of the frequency and all of the things that are associated with being diagnosed with binge eating disorder. So I think that's one thing that's important. That doesn't mean that it's not important to evaluate and get support for if you're noticing that you're having binge eating episodes, but not frequent enough (laughs) to be diagnosed with binge eating disorder. It doesn't matter. Like, I think that's another important thing here is None of, it doesn't matter where you fall on this spectrum. If you feel kind of like you're falling into some of these categories and you're having a difficult time, it's important to work with someone. It's important to get that support. That's why it was like our main disclaimer at the beginning of this episode. So when we're talking about binge eating disorder, I don't want people here listening saying, oh, well, I don't meet all that criteria, so it's not worth me evaluating and going deeper into. I think the point is if you identify as someone who has scavenger eating or has binge-like episodes, whether they're intermittent or not, um, I I don't think I know um, how important it is for you to get support and to understand where is this coming from, what's the root cause, and how can I work through it so that I can get on the other end of this and not feel that. Because no one wants to feel chaotic around food. No one wants to feel um, uncomfortable and disconnected from their body and feel guilt and shame around the foods that they're eating and what they're doing. So if you don't meet this criteria, it's okay. It doesn't mean that you have to in order to get help. <laughs> I think that's really important. So, but we do want to distinguish it a little bit to so that people, if let's say you're listening to this and you're like, oh yeah, that's me. I definitely have binge episodes. And then here are some other things that I fall into too. Um, you might 
might have binge eating disorder, and that is a psychiatric treatable condition, and it's important for you to get help even more so. And you're not alone. There's a lot of people out there who have binge eating disorder, and um, it's okay. It's okay. It's support, and you need to get help, and that's all there is to it, and that's okay too. So we are going to pull some facts from the DSM-5 that tells us basically this is our diagnostic and statistical manual for mental disorders. And so that's how we know this is the criteria that they define it. And again, just because it's defined here doesn't mean this is the only instance, right? Um, And this is for classic binge eating disorder or how they define it. But a lot of times there's a lot of distress over binging episodes that happen as well as part of it. Um, there's a real loss of control over the amount that you're eating can happen as well. And I think one big thing that can kind of help people distinguish the severity can be how often this is occurring, right? So if this is happening once a week for three months for a period of time, for a prolonged period of time, you might have binge eating disorder, right? In addition to that, those types of those criteria there, sometimes what can happen as well that you can have some of the all some of these other things that fall into it too, which you might feel a lot when you're having binge episodes too. And this is feeling uncomfortably full when you're eating, um, eating more rapidly, rapidly than, than the average person, like in like a two hour period, eating a lot and feeling kind of chaotic and fast about it and eating faster than, than the average person, um, feeling really depressed, guilty, and kind of disgusted with yourself after overeating. That's kind of what Dana was talking about, about that earlier feeling of real shame and guilt and, um, a lot of um, repentance kind of feelings too, but not necessarily acting in repentance either. Like you might not then go purge or you might not then go and, and go exercise. That doesn't necessarily mean what it, be, it means. It could also just mean feeling repentance. Like I am bad. I need to do something about this. This isn't good. Um, also, another thing too is I think important to note as well that I see with clients of mine is especially for clients of mine that have binge eating disorder is eating alone is a big piece of it too, because there's embarrassment around how much you're eating and feeling that way. And so we do a lot of it pretty secretively. Like sometimes you might hide food in your room or eat everything in your car so that no one else knows. So you can kind of remove the evidence of how much you've eaten too. I think that's really important. And then also eating large amounts of food when you're not feeling physically hungry. Um, I think that's also a big piece too. And so Those are some of the things that you can look at if you feel like, okay, I'm having, I can definitely relate to everything that Dana and Christina described in binge eating episodes. Now I've taken mine and this is where I'm landing now. Like if I take that, that feeling and then I add on these things, okay, there I am. I might fall into that category, in which case it's really important to get support um, for, for this as well. So I think those are some of the main things. And I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about binge eating disorder because I don't want people to think that, um, this is one, this episode's not to diagnose that or even to, to even give that kind of information at all. It's more of a guidance for you to then look at where you are on this spectrum and decide for yourself, where am I and how can I then get support that I need in order to adjust and work on my relationship with food? Yeah. 
And so just to clarify, like if you, for example, if you do feel like you eat until you're uncomfortably full or you like eat alone sometimes because you're embarrassed, that alone doesn't mean that you have binge eating disorder, right? So we can put, um, you know, the criteria in the DSM-5 in the show notes just so you will have it if you want to. But it's basically you have to meet X amount of these criteria in order to be diagnosed with binge eating disorder. And you also have to get that done by someone who's not us, <laughs> right? So like we are not diagnosing anyone here. We literally cannot diagnose anyone here legally. So don't think that we're doing that. Just a little medical disclaimer there. The podcast <laughs> episode is not going to give you a medical diagnosis just and that is why we have a disclaimer at the beginning of every intro <laughs> if you were wondering so some clarification here right so going back to what we've been talking about an occurrence of overeating is not necessarily binge eating and occasional overeating or occasional binge eating is not the psychiatric disorder of binge eating disorder right and at the same time, no matter where you fall on this spectrum, everybody can use some support, right? Like you're never, you never have to be, you know, quote, sick enough in order to ask for help or to work on having a more peaceful relationship with food, right? Overeating, binge eating, scavenger eating, even if they're isolated incidents can be supported with the help of a qualified practitioner. And, you know, we are always here to support you in however you need and to encourage you to seek out the support that you need. And so just again, as a reminder, binge eating disorder, which you might sometimes see abbreviated as BED, is a psychiatric disorder that can be treated with appropriate help, right? Mental health professionals, a treatment team. And one of the things that we try so hard to do on this podcast podcast is to remove the shame and the stigma around all of these things because Binge eating is one of the most common disorders that, well, we see definitely in our practices, but I would see any food or healthcare practitioner sees in their practice if they work with nutrition in any way. And people don't think that what they're doing is, you know, quote, a problem, or they think that it's normal, which binge eating really is normal. Like a lot more people than you think are binge eaters, whether they are diagnosed or not. And because it's been so normalized, people don't think that it's a problem and then they don't get the support that they need. And a big reason why a lot of people won't seek out the support that they need is because there's so much shame. That's why people will eat alone. That's why people will hide their eating, right? We never want to admit that there's anything wrong, whether it's disordered eating or a disordered relationship with exercise or binge eating or, you know, overeating or, you know, any of these things, unless it's like culture-sponsored overeating, like on Thanksgiving or something like that, which is a perfectly normal thing. But then everyone jokes around of like, oh, oh my God, I'm so bad, I overate, now we're going to have to make up for it. Okay, that's disordered, but no one's talking about that, you know. So we just want to establish this as a safe space where we're trying to provide more information for you and more clarification. And if you identify with anything that we've talked about today, it might be helpful to talk to someone. You know, like Christina's been saying, look into that. You know, that's maybe it's a red flag. Maybe it's like a yellow flag. Maybe it's, hey, this is something that I should look into. Is this a pattern that I have? This doesn't mean that I'm a bad person, but it's giving, my body's giving me some clues. My body's giving me some information and it would be good for me to get someone to help me look into that with me. Yeah, I um, I couldn't agree more. I think one of the things too that where the diet culture really normalizes a lot of these behaviors and also feeds off of them too, right? Like there's a whole, the whole concept of like cheat days are like basically sanctioned 
binge eating episodes, right? And if you constantly go on and off the dieting wagon, you might identify as someone like, oh, I do have binge episodes quite a lot, right? And these things are complex and it's deeply riddled within our society and and normalized. And like Dana mentioned, so many people have binge episodes and over have these overeating and scavenger type behaviors. And so one of the things that we wanted to talk about too was there's a lot of diet culture sanctioned tools out there to help you with your binge eating and overeating. And they're basically the what not to do. You know, Uh, if you want to stop binge eating and overeating, don't do these things because they perpetuate the problem. And what's really fucked up about it is, is that diet culture basically makes this as if this is part of dieting. This is part of getting healthy and learning how to manage these things. But really, they've created the binging cycle for you. And then they tell you things like, one, eliminate binge foods totally from your home. Who here has heard that before? Right? (laughs) Isn't that the beginning of every diet? Clean out your pantry. I remember when I was in health coaching program and in nutrition, like that was one of the things they told us to offer our clients was a pantry clean out. A pantry clean out. Yeah, right? Like how messed up is that? So like avoid keeping them in your house. I definitely did that, which is why I used to binge eat Oreos every time anyone bought them for me or they became became available, right? So these are what we, I think um, also an episode with Bonnie Roney too, she mentioned these Band-Aid things too. So you can always go back to that episode after listening to this one. They pair really nicely together. Um, And this is a Band-Aid, right? So keeping, avoid keeping them in your house actually sets you up for it, right? If we listen to everything we talked about with the binge episodes, especially is like, it's usually restriction based or- That sets you up for it. So it it literally sets you up for it. Eliminating foods literally sets you up for a binge, Um, which leads us to our next one, doing elimination diet. Um, As integrative practitioners, we were literally taught how to provide elimination diets. And one of the biggest things that I saw as a huge problem when I worked with clients No matter how hard I try to say the reintroduction phase needs to be done strategically, so otherwise it's all for nothing, especially when you're really trying to find out if someone does have a food sensitivity or something that's impacting them, like their migraines or whatever, if there's a trigger food for that, no matter what you do, it leads to a binge. There's always something, and they'd always come into my office and say, Christina, it happened, and I'd have to say, hey... We knew this would happen. This is the risk of elimination diets. Let's talk about it. Let's go over it. And which is why now I will do everything I can before ever eliminating a food or a food item from someone's diet. And it usually takes a crap ton of emotional work around your food before we even suggest such a thing. So again, these again are things that are sanctioned to us and told to us as ways to manage binge eating and overeating. Whole30 is all about that, right? Going back to them again, quitting sugar, all the things leads to a binge at the end of that. And I can't help but say, because I hate them so much, is another one that do not do this if you relate to anything in this episode is join Noom. Noom is restriction-based 
There are brilliant marketers telling you that they're anti-diet and they're going to help you with your overeating and your binge eating and that shit ain't But they're right. just going to put you on a 1,200-calorie diet anyways. Yep. They're going to put you on a low-calorie diet, which again, if you listen to anything in this episode so far, those are the things that lead us to those feelings of chaos, out of control, binge eating, overeating, and scavenger eating. So those types of things that we're being told are tools to work on this are actually things that put us deeper into this cycle. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we're going to leave you on a cliffhanger because this episode has been pretty long already. So on the next episode, we're going to be talking about, okay, so now we know a couple of the things not to do (laughs) in order to get out of this cycle. Right now, you might have a little bit of a better idea of, okay, these are some patterns that I'm, um, you know, observing in myself. And like, maybe that's something that I want to check out. We, our number one recommendation is always to work with a practitioner, right? Seek out help. But we also want to give you some practical tools of things that you can use to, one, assess your relationship with food and these things, and then also some practical tools for what can I do if these are patterns that I'm observing in myself. So that is going to be on next week's episode. Stay tuned, guys. Hang in there one more week, guys. <laughs> to be continued. It's like those old animated TV shows where they would like leave you on such a cliffhanger. And then at the bottom, it would just be like, to be continued. Follow our heroes next week. Um, rude. I have to wait a whole week. Sorry. Yes, you do. There's no binging of these episodes unless you're listening to them in the future, in which case, lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to wait at all. You can just press next. <laughs>